On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. The useful thing about today being New Year's Day and a Sunday is that it's a good reminder of what day of the week it actually is because that we're kind of at the end of that twixtmas void where you genuinely don't know what day of the week it is. In fact, one of our newspaper uh, reviewers uh, admitted on Twitter a couple of days ago that, that he was wearing Saturday branded socks on a Wednesday because there was no empirical way of saying otherwise. Uh, we'll reveal who that was in a moment, Paul Hosford. Um, the front page of the Business Post this morning. Uh, the Land Development Agency, set up by the government four years ago to accelerate the construction of housing, has built no homes on state lands, new figures show. Uh, previously unreleased details of the state's agency, uh, state agency's activity under Project TUSIG, which is its flagship programme, show that it's delivered just 270 homes, all of which were acquired from some of the biggest developers in the country, rather than built by the agency itself. The LDA was set up in September 2018 with a capital budget of £1.25 billion to expedite the construction of 150,000 homes over 20 years on state lands. And at the time, the government said that sites had already been earmarked for 10,000 homes. At the time, Leo Varadkar said the agency would be staffed by people with proven track records in the delivery of housing. It would hit the ground running. It would be one of the most significant ever state inventions in the housing market. But new data released to Sinn Féin's own O'Brien has shown that all of the 270 homes delivered to date were bought from private developers under Project Tussig and not developed by the LDA itself on state land. The units were bought from Cairn Homes, the Offlane Group and the White Box Group. Might talk about that uh, more in a couple of minutes' time. Also on the front page of the Business Post this morning, uh, the government is reviewing the amount of red tape involved in public infrastructure projects over concerns that the process is so slow that nothing is being delivered. And it literally says that nothing is being delivered, uh, which I just love the bluntness of. Uh, long may that that uh, that candour survive this year. Um, and also, Revolut has yet to file audited accounts for 2021 after British regulators highlighted an unacceptably high risk of material misstatements in the financial controls and auditing process uh, at the firm. That's the Business Post. Uh, front page of the Sunday Times, uh, the Housing Minister has conceded that the government will struggle to hit its own targets next year, uh, next year being 2024. Um, Dara O'Brien described the drop in building standards, uh, building starts as a concern that could impact the number of new homes delivered in 2024 and beyond. The government is preparing to update its targets in the Housing for All strategy. The numbers are expected to increase to account for the growth in Ireland's population recorded in the census uh, last April. Building control authorities said the commencement notices received between January and October 2022 uh, were 15% down on the same period in 21. Uh, starts have been made on 22,760 homes. That compares to uh, 29,000 homes which are supposed to be delivered this year under the Housing for All plan and that was supposed to rise to 33,000 next year. Uh, the Fianna Fáil Minister told the Sunday Times that a push on local authorities to zone more land for homes was under consideration along with plans to convert existing built-to-rent permissions to address viability issues. Um, and also on the front page of the Sunday Times uh, Pope President Higgins leading Irish tributes to the former Pope Benedict XVI. There's also uh, tributes uh, to to the former Pope on the front pages of the Irish Mail on Sunday. Uh, Finally for now, the uh, Sunday Independent. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar wants to extend some cost of living reductions in VAT and excise duty, which are due to expire next month in a move which could put him on a a collision course with his coalition partners in the Greens. Varadkar has warned of a cliff edge at the end of February if the government were to allow a number of state supports to help businesses and and households expire. Uh, That includes the electricity credits and cuts to VAT, also the excise on uh, petrol and diesel. Leo Varadkar says he doesn't think it would be a credible proposition to drop all of that at the end of February. But um, in a pre-Christmas briefing with political correspondents, Eamon Ryan, the Environment and Energy Minister, uh, warned that the cost of living cuts to excise and VAT were not likely to be extended because the Greens wanted to end lower taxes on fossil fuels. Um, and also on the front page of the Sindo, um, Sinn Féin 
could propose a tax break for landlords who sell their properties to tenants as part of a new policy to address the rental crisis. That's part of an extended interview that Owner Bryn has done with that paper today. Uh, that's your quick tour of what's on the front pages of the papers. As I said, we are joined in studio by Paul Hosford, um, who I, I'm not even going to ask whether he's wearing Sunday socks today. That's that's his own business. Uh, <laughs> he, has, he has no idea what day of the week it is. Uh, he is political correspondent with the Irish Examiner and we're also joined by Sheena Cahill, account manager with uh, DHR Communications, um, ex-president of the Union of Students in Ireland, uh, also named yesterday as uh, one to watch. Uh, one of the yeah. one of the five people in politics to watch in 2023. Yeah. What have you got planned? I know. I don't even know what I've planned. That's how mysterious and exciting it is. <laughs> That's how spontaneous and mysterious it's yeah. all going to Keep be. watching. Uh, thank you very much for both coming in uh, on a New Year's Day. Uh, let's start with some of those various um, housing stories. I'm particularly struck, uh, Paul, by that, that front page story in the Business Post. Um, the LDA, I don't know whether you were there uh, at the launch of that. I certainly remember covering the, the launch of that uh, on the top floor of um, the the building. It's uh, actually, ironically enough, a building that uh, owner Bryn has, has written a biography of, um, the Bosaurus building. And it was all like, we have the land, we have the money, and we're going to basically take all of the development in-house. And we're now going to develop on a large scale on state lands. And four and a bit years later, they haven't actually built any of their own houses. Yeah, I genuinely couldn't tell you if I was at that launch because I was at so many launches in the last eight or nine years of mm. things that have nice maps or, or really good uh, architectural models. I'm, I'm a sucker for architectural mm. models. If, love if I see them, I love them. Um, so I've been at so many of those that I, they, they all kind of blend into one because it's hard to link any of them to any concrete action. Mm. Uh, I remember being at one <clears throat> under Rebuilding Ireland that was a, a land bank map where the, the government mapped all of the, the public land available um, and this was a, a huge undertaking, a massive uh, project. It, it fed into the LDA's work. The LDA knows where all of the land is. It's interesting to see uh, one of the things that you, you link that to is, is that Sunday Times front page as well where Darrell O'Brien says that Councils need to zone more land. And, and the thing is, we know that we don't need more zoned land. There's 70,000 active, uh, or there's 70,000 homes that could be built with current mm. planning permissions. They're, they're not, you know, the, the industry will say that they're not being sat on, but they're, they're not being activated. We don't need so, more. So the concern isn't that we need more land zoned for housing. It's just that we need to build on the planning permissions exactly. that are already there. And, and, and the problem that you, you get there is if, if you're talking about zoning more land, you're talking about doing more you also have to ask the question, where are we at in terms of capacity of what we can build? We're, we're going to hit somewhere around 30,000 this year. Is, is that what we have the capacity for in terms of, of manpower, in terms of materials, in terms of overall uh, financial firepower? Are, are mm. developers able to get to the point where they can can build, build more mm. homes? So you're, you're asking, I suppose, a lot of questions. But the, the one thing, I suppose, from the LDA point of view is they'll say, look, they're you know, the, their remit has changed over the last couple of years or, or the, the, the structures have changed. It's been put on a statutory footing since then and that they're starting work on, on sites in, in Cork and, and in Dublin. There's two two sites in Dublin. I was out at one of them recently in, in Shangana. Huge, huge undertaking again. Mm. You know, lovely event where you're showing the model of what the, what the plan is. But I think one of the things with the LDA is you look at it and you think, I think that, Pre, uh, this government and the previous government have probably taken a, a little bit of a, a a bet on the public generally being agnostic on how housing is delivered. Um, I think that the public doesn't necessarily care whether the LDA buys homes or builds homes mm. as long as the net result is more affordable housing. 
Uh, and I think the general public probably tunes in more to availability and affordability than they do yeah. th- what what actually happens in the background. I, I think there's very few people who are who are that ideological mm. about it. Do, do you think though, and I'll come to Sheena on this in just a second, do you think though that the public would understand if an agency that was set up with a 1.25 billion capital budget four years ago and was supposed to do a lot of its own developing, uh, there's a distinction between building and developing, but it was supposed to like engineer or oversee the, the construction of all this housing. And four years on, it hasn't actually managed to do any of its own. Yeah, and that, that's the that's the real frustration. And one of the things that that people will point to with the LDA is that it was supposed to. One one of the selling points was that you have these huge master plans that could be done, but no developer really was in that space to to do it. Particularly, kind of middle of of the last decade, they didn't have the the wherewithal. They didn't have the the master plan. And now, and what Leo Varadkar said was, this agency is going to pull everyone together. Everyone's going to have all of this expertise, and they're going to be able to do it. So you think of uh, Corbett Station in Limerick. Uh, there's a huge bank of land around that. Yeah. There's talk for I I think two decades about what you're going to do with it. Um, the LDA was going to come in and and take over everything they were going to redevelop the whole area around it you know if nothing's being done I think that's mm. they're the ones that the, the public will be particularly frustrated with those huge um, things that could uh, completely uh, revolutionise cities and, and big towns across Ireland because there's so much public land that could be developed could be mm. you know we talk about and and the thing is planning and and, uh, and spatial uh, spatial de- development and, and all of these things are, are decisions that really impact everything that we uh, interact with so a good uh, transport plan feeds into a good uh, land use plan feeds into better communities and and we know these things because you know where they've actually worked where mm. people can walk to work or where people can access high quality public transport that the quality of life is better though, though people tend to enjoy living in those communities more yeah. than they do, do ones that aren't don't have those things and the LDA at the moment for a lot of people will feel like a missed opportunity in that space um, Sheena, it there is uh, it is going to feel like a missed opportunity for a lot of people. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's some government people or, or some handlers listening in this morning, and they go, "Well, yeah, there was a couple of you know phases where the construction was completely slowed down." But mm. but I remember going to that launch in September 2018, and they were they were pointing at sites like, for example, the National Mental Hospital in Dundrum, and they were saying, "Well, we're going to be moving out to the other one in Portran soon enough, and that's going to be this giant land bank." And because we already know that's there, and we own the land, we can move in and do all of that quicker. Yeah. And it was all like. It, it basically they were making it like they had all the tools at their disposal we have the money we have the hearts land the we have eyes. the resources hearts in their eyes yeah. it, was, it was like an emoji yeah. and just I, I just don't know how four years on that they haven't actually built anything of their own Gavin there's nothing that thrills me more starting the new year off than seeing all of these papers once again telling us that we failed on housing policy I mean really <laughs> that's what got me out of bed this morning yeah. I'm just so excited to be told that I definitely won't be able to afford a house because the houses aren't being built um, and I know like that's the thing with this stuff um, you, when you look at the likes of the LDA um, Paul is right that probably most people um, don't I suppose dial into the very detail of how this stuff gets done how does the sausage get get made when it comes to housing policy what people are uh, interested in is uh, can I access a house to buy. Is it affordable? Mm. Uh, am I on a waiting list for a house for social housing? Can I? Can I? And is that accessible to me? But also, they're going to be looking at the 
the way we are building our communities, as Paul has said. I mean, uh, if these uh, large housing developments uh, are being proposed for your backyard, uh, people get very interested in housing policy mm. very, very quickly. And we've seen it right around the country uh, with people, you know, putting in, um, you know, um, questions uh, to local county councils around zoning in those areas. So the thing is, though, we're neither getting large scale building um or are we actually seeing anything like actually happen when it comes to this? Like the LDA is just another example of uh, an organisation that seems to have been set up again with heart heart emojis in their eyes about all the stuff they could do and then nothing seems to be happening from it. And all our front papers this morning are talking about targets uh, as set, uh, setbacks of targets, uh, you know, the... Sinn Féin, of course, of course Owen O'Brien's uh, hero of the uh, hour slash decade uh, of Sinn Féin uh, when it comes to uh, talking about housing. A big piece, of course, big profile piece by Hugh O'Connell yeah. in The Independent as well about him and all that he'll do the devil and all uh, when he gets in for five years as, uh, as part of a Sinn Féin government and he'll end homelessness in five years as well. Uh, but I'm I, I'm just, it's so hard to, uh, to listen to this mm. over and over again. I feel like I've been in the studio talking about housing policy. Yeah. Yeah, more a, times than a, not. It might, it might be a new year, but it definitely feels like Groundhog Day. In fact, someone has already, I think, tweeted us a gif of uh, Bill Murray saying it's Groundhog Day again. Uh, thank you for your tweets on that. Uh, on the record, NT is our hashtag if you want to do keep them coming. 53106, the number for your text, by the way. Um, project Tussig, which is the um, the project Ironic. which has de- <laughs> delivered. <laughs> project Tussig, the ironically titled Project Tussig, um, was launched by the LDA in November 2021 uh, to stimulate the construction of dormant private housing projects with full planning permission rather than to buy turnkey homes. So even that was an an initiative where I presume, Paul, they were going to be dealing with sites that weren't in public ownership. It was basically just, right, well, there's these privately owned uh, development plans which have gone dormant. Um, They're privately owned. Let's just step in and get them going. And that's the only means through which they've actually delivered anything. That that doesn't even seem like it's within the LDA's remit. Well, it it is now. Um, It it is under, uh, I suppose, since... Uh, November 2021 it's for me for my mind it, it's a good scheme in, in a way that it, it addresses a reality of the the housing market mm. there's a lot of developers who have got to a point where a project has stalled for whatever reason uh, that could be infrastructure funding it could be problems with uh, o- with state agencies it could just be uh, overall ran out of money yeah. and that the, if the LDA can step in and if there's a if there's a premium there for the taxpayer all the better um, and they've done this in in, uh, in a couple of places already there's there's one place out in, in Dublin 15 that they're going to restart uh, construction on and it will benefit the community and it will benefit people because the, the homes will get built but yeah, again, it, you, it, what you've seen is a, a broadening of the scope of the LDA now, uh, rather than just being, you know, public housing on public lands or, mm. or, or social and affordable housing. One of the things that that project Tusk does do in a lot of cases, uh, particularly I know I know in the in the one out in Blanches, there there is that all of those homes will be social and affordable. Um, the problem is, and, and Owen, Owen O'Brien makes this point to, to Killian Woods in in that business post piece. Mm. You're talking 2024 before these homes become available at the earliest. Mm. Uh, that's assuming there's no more shocks to uh, supply chains, there's no more external shocks. And, you know, at the same time, targets will need to be revised up. Darrell O'Brien said as much a couple of weeks ago. Housing for all will need to be reviewed. And the, the, mm. the, the new T-Shock said it as well. 
the, the, the well, weren't they rebuffing that for a long time didn't we wasn't there some people pointing out that well with the volume of Ukrainian refugees and other people in the country and with the census numbers having gone up that this was something that needed to be done I, and there appeared to be a resistance to it for a while before they eventually realised that they had to do it anyway I remember you and I asking that question outside government buildings during the summer and being told no no it's it's fine but I think the reality has kind of set in that project the, 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 I suppose the, the take on it now is that housing for all was always a a malleable document that if you had to revise the targets upwards you would yeah. re- revise the targets upwards which is a fine which is absolutely fine but I think the reality has now kind of kicked in that But when we're not building enough to meet the lower levels of that, those targets uh, it's like it's kind of pointless yeah. to try and keep revising it so, up So the targets were inadequate you know? and we couldn't meet the existing targets yeah. so now why don't we just scale up the targets and miss them by more Yeah, yeah. feels like you know junior cert maths um, Also on page 12 of the Mail on Sunday by the way the government will order councils to step in and replace the country's vanishing builders in a desperate attempt to meet its housing targets uh, Eamon Ryan is said to be cracking the whip in a frantic bid to uh, tackle the housing crisis There's an image uh, for New Year's morning uh, There's also a, a, an interesting piece on page 8 of the Sunday Independent which is about uh, the current situation of the rental sector and as we know there's a moratorium on uh, eviction notices uh, right now but there's an interesting uh, spread Sheena about what's mm. going to happen when all of that expires when, the, when those uh, protections expire yeah. in April and, and it is, I it is pretty much chaos teeth, like that's like, it's actually really scary if you're in the rental market at the minute and the only thing protecting you at the moment is that eviction ban um, and to think that that might no, long, might no longer be in place particularly when we're in a situation where we've thousands of newcomers to the country uh, seeking refuge um, in the form of Ukrainians and others, but also because of record homelessness uh, as well, um, we are going, it it will be chaos um, uh, if if the eviction ban does get lifted. Um, I'm totally against it uh, because there are so many people in really precarious situations uh, that are totally unprotected and I've no sympathy whatsoever uh, for landlords complaining about this Um you know, set your terms and set them right. And uh, but I'm I'm not interested in hearing sob stories from landlords uh, about the eviction ban when I when you can tell and you know people who are in this situation. Um, and like people are absolutely taking the mick. Like we were recently uh, looking for accommodation. Our own landlord was selling, and we'd been given notice. So we were we were on we were on the hunt for uh, rental accommodation in Dublin, mm. and like you could not get anything under two grand. Like. That immediately, uh, you know, is out of the bounds of most people, um, regardless of what job you have or what. Are, are you still only there then because of the moratorium? Are you kind of in suspended we, no, animation? No, so we we have moved and we we had so you the, got somewhere new. we had the opportunity at the time we found. But like I was saying to Paul before we came on air, like we must have sent sixty messages on Daft uh, which is uh, kind of a place where you can look uh, look for housing uh, mm. around the country. Um, of that, probably thirty replies, maybe out of thirty replies, um we got to see maybe four or five houses. Uh, and of those, again, you're looking at plus two grand uh, for very small uh, places in or around Dublin. And mm. we weren't being specific. Like, we were coming from Blanche. Uh, we didn't mind where we were living as long as it was near good public transport. Paul just mentioned the importance of all of those resources nearby. That's what we were looking for. But like, some of the stuff we were being asked, I was I was expecting to have to nearly give my my blood type to some of, some of these landlords at, at, at some stage. Like, we had to do a full profile for some mm. of them about 
about who we were and like who we were as a couple and our like thoughts about the future. It's like what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> do I'm you have pets? Yeah, you. yeah and then, and like only O negative blood types need unbelievable apply. Unbelievable. The kind of the amount of information they were asking for about um, our financial standing, um, our current employment, um, letters from our employers, um, and it's like okay, so we were in a really lucky situation that both of us were fully employed at the time, and we should have been. We should on paper we looked like model citizens, unless yeah. you were trying to boot out lesbians. You didn't want them in the house and too many cats. But like the reality <laughs> was that we we look like people who you should want to live in your home, and we were people who should be able to afford it. Hmm. Um, says the market, but actually it was near impossible. Um, and that's us in a very privileged situation. So I honestly do not know how the market would respond and how people would respond on the doorsteps as we are about to enter uh, county council elections uh, and the positioning of parties around that all around the country. I think that is going to remain one of the biggest talking points of the year. Uh, Barry has been in touch on Twitter. He says, uh, good morning. Here we go again. A discussion on housing while ignoring the elephant in the room, the massive level of immigration. Hopefully the media's New Year resolution will be to have an honest, open debate on immigration. That is from Barry. Um, Keep your ears peeled for the uh, second half of the program because there is one TD whose New Year's resolution uh, has something to say on that. Uh, someone else has been in touch to say uh, we have so much public land says Paul. On what planet Ireland has the lowest state-owned land in the OECD? Says oh yeah person. we do. Uh, absolutely. By comparative, by, by comparatively to international standards but we have more than enough to build uh, the, the level of housing that we need. Um, there's, there's no question about that. There's huge, huge land banks there available that, that can be used and and the the government themselves have said this repeatedly over the last six or seven years. Simon Co- it was Simon Coveney who was the housing minister who launched that land bank map back in 2016. Jesus. We have lots of land available. We can do these things. We just haven't. Uh, I'm also reminded that uh, the government had uh, planned to spend 2.2 billion euro on housing construction and capital stuff by the end of November of 2022. It managed to get 1.5 out. Interesting to see in the next couple of days when the end of year figures come out whether they've been able to claw back and spend that money in other places or whether in fact it's not the money that's the problem. It's it's other resourcing. Uh, we mentioned that Eamon Ryan was intending to crack the whip on local authorities. We're going to hear from Eamon Ryan about some issues in internal and external to his party uh, when we're back after this with Paul and Sheena don't go away uh, we mentioned before the break that we were going to hear from a- Eamon Ryan the leader of the Green Party a couple of clips from um, a briefing that he did with political correspondents before Christmas that we wanted to play with you firstly um, him talking about the role of Sinn Féin on climate action and suggesting that there would be some questions about what would happen to the environment if Sinn Féin were to be wielding the levers of government I think those comments really raise questions about the leader, some of the leadership in Sinn Féin and their commitment to an environmental agenda. I think in instances, increasingly, they seem to be hostile to the environmental agenda and I think they're out of step with the Irish people in that. I think they're out of step with what they're going to have to do if they were in government because there isn't an option on this. And I think there's a real question when you see comments like that, what is Sinn Féin about? when it comes to this issue, because it seems to me that is an outright hostility that speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. Now, not to comment or dwell too much on that, but it was interesting, and you're going to hear this in the uh, clips that we've been sent from TDs who are outlining their New Year's resolutions, that there's quite a few Sinn Féin TDs who've gotten in touch and quite a few Green Party TDs who've gotten in touch, and not saying that any of their individual resolutions or priorities for the year are illegitimate or any of them are less reasonable than the others. Um, but none of the Green TDs who got back to us mentioned climate action as something which needed to be addressed in 2023. And quite a lot of Sinn Féin TDs did. Um, we also want to hear from uh, Eamon Ryan, who has denied that the Green Party ignored comments made by the Limerick TD Brian Ledden in a WhatsApp group uh, in which a local um, Sock Dems councillor, Elise O'Donovan, was labelled as unhinged. 
that wasn't hidden or ignored or avoided. That was and it's a highly contentious and complex issue, but no one was disrespecting that woman's right to raise the concern or no one was ignoring it. There were also legal aspects of this in terms of and the complex legal aspects. I, the legal advice I had is that a lot of the commentary was defamatory in nature in various directions and that there was a real question to be careful around commentary but of what was but we know what I would have to go back into all the complexity of that but that was that was our advice at the time correctly in my mind because it was complex and very very different arguments being made our, our our view and our advice legally then and now is be very careful in your commentary because there is very defamatory, potentially defamatory comments being made and you know, as everyone in this road know, knows, in this room knows, you have to be careful when such rights are also potentially being questioned. Uh, that's Eamon Ryan talking about the comments made in that WhatsApp group about the Sock Dems councillor, uh, Melissa Donovan. Sheena, um, he says it wasn't being ignored, but to my mind, that's the first time he's ever spoken out loud about I, I haven't heard comments. him talk about this before, yeah. actually. Um, so it, it doesn't feel like it was dealt with in the best way internally. Um, but also, um, you know, this particular uh, local representative, Eliza, uh, she has been really targeted, like not just the stuff with Brian Ledden and the comments that were made uh, by him in that internal Green Party WhatsApp group. But like also just recently around Christmas Day as well, yeah. uh, videos up of her online. I mean, this kind of crack, people have to grow up like. And this is that's not just that's not just a comment on how the Green Party handled this. This is just in general, like the kind of commentary about women in general, um, regardless of whether you agree with their political opinions or their approaches. um you know, that's the kind of stuff, that's the kind of culture we're talking about when we when we talk about the fact that politics is really difficult for people to, to get into, um, particularly for women, particularly for minority groups. Um, so we really need leaders like Eamon Ryan, like all of the other uh, leaders in every party uh, to absolutely, you know, show up and stand up. Um, when things like this happen, particularly from members of their own party and make sure that there are ramifications to that kind of behaviour. It's not good enough. Mm. Uh, and everybody's an adult here. And I just, I don't accept uh, that that kind of behaviour is good good enough from from elected members or, or any member of, of a political party. Yeah, and maybe I'm wrong, but I just genuinely don't have any recollection of, of anyone in the Green Party kind of answering questions on the record about that up till now. So this is interesting to hear Eamon Ryan discussing it and to acknowledge that there were things that might have been uh, on the, the wrong side of the law uh, mentioned in that group. Um, there's quite a lot uh, about Eamon Ryan on some of the front pages, Paul, including this this intimation on uh, the front page of the Sunday Independent that there might be something of a battle coming up between himself and the new Taoiseach Leo Varadkar over some of the cost of living reductions which are at present due to expire at the end of February. Yeah, and I suppose one of the things that, I, that if you're Eamon Ryan you kind of have to do is you have to be seen to not necessarily drag your heels but you do have to be seen to not be for a subvention for fossil fuel providers which is what the, the cut and excise duty is. You're effectively um, paying part of that bill. Um I was in that. I was in the the uh, briefing with Eamon Ryan. I didn't really pick it up that he was dead against exp- uh, extending these excise uh, supports or any of the other cost no, of living supports. Not Hugh O'Connell <laughs> stirring the pot. <laughs> what? Uh, no, I think I think generally it's just uh, you know one of the things that you're going to see uh, 
with this with the early days of this new government I suppose um, mm. it is a new government yeah. is that constitutionally speaking um, yeah. you know you're you're Shitty, you, you kind of mentioned that there you're about 15 months out 15, 17 months out from, from a local and European election mm. beyond that you've probably only got another couple of months of, of this government left you've got a cabinet that's very very um, it's very much the same as it was two and a half years ago um, and the parties are going to have to delineate themselves at some point they're going to have to start uh, breaking away from each other because they're going to have to pitch to the public and they on have why. to look fresh like yeah. you can't be looking tired coming into this year now um, mm. so if it, it, things like this where there's this kind of supposed clash uh, between the Greens and, and Leo Varadkar around the, 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 the some of these measures particularly from the Greens perspective they need to be seen to be really strong around the climate stuff mm. but I also cannot see them uh, oppose, really opposing any cost of living measures being extended beyond February either because they are also looking at a voter base I think, that's extremely But, but even if because the, the Green Party had some concerns at the time I mean, everyone acknowledged that the price of petrol and diesel was, was gone to a calamitous rate altogether but they had some concerns when the excise on petrol and diesel was cut that it was effectively incentivising people to stick with fossil fuels rather than to make the conversion and it, it's sort of understandable from a, an ideological position maybe mm. the you know it gets sort of mithered in, in practice when it comes to it but you can understand why they'd be a little bit reluctant oh, to keep keep having there, the subsidy. Yeah. There was nobody. There was nobody who was about to buy an electric vehicle who decided not to because the government uh, took a couple of pence off the the price of diesel. It just it, it just wasn't a, a consumer change. And I, I think one of the things that you you'll probably see, may, you could make an argument coming into into the spring that the electricity uh, support might not be there mm. um, because people will use less power, or or you know, or it might be cut in half. Um, if the, the the price of petrol goes right back up uh, in, in on the first of March, if it if it shoots back up and it's up around the, the two euro mark, yeah, the public will react very negatively. Mm. I, I don't see that one having a, a cliff edge, and we talked about cliff edges. It, it feels like for the last couple of years yeah. because of COVID supports and because of uh, uh, different social welfare uh, measures that, that that the government they they like this cliff edge idea mm. um, as a kind of a, a verbal nod. But can they afford to though keep rolling over all these kind of subsidies or these discounts? Because I mean at some point the government is going to be reliant on getting that 20 cent per litre on diesel or 15% on, on petrol. They're going to want it back again aren't they? Yeah well that's the other thing. It doesn't you, you spend an awful lot of money to not get a whole lot. Um, I, I don't think that the public uh, I think that there would be negative reaction if the price went right back up but I think if the price stayed where it was nobody's looking at the government nobody's looking at Michael McGrath saying cheers like thanks chief you've really, be- you've really <laughs> saved us on this you know it's it's not a huge voting it's not a positive uh, contributor to your, to your polling yeah. but it's a, it is a huge expense so you spend a lot of money to s- effectively stand still you don't bring the if if the you know the, the cost you know if you're spending about 800 million euro and the price was coming down in half you could say, look, mm. we're really, really easing and, the and burden. This, this, of course, all in the context of us relying so heavily on the corporate tax in- intake, particularly from multinationals and the tech sector, which we have seen across 2022 really, really struggled, particularly towards the kind of Q4. So what concerns a lot of people now, I'm sure, is how sustainable is it if there is no cliff edge? Uh, and I think that's absolutely fair enough. I don't think anyone wants to see that. There are far too many people struggling and will continue struggling into 2023 for there to be a situation where ever, the rug gets pulled from everybody. But also from a public policy and economic point of view, how sustainable is it to keep these measures in place when it wasn't originally in the plan, mm. uh, relying on the money to fund it coming from a tech sector predominantly that is definitely 
struggling certainly way more than we would have ascertained it to be at the beginning of 2022. Uh, I know you, when you said it you were being uh, slightly tongue in cheek but just for the benefit of people who haven't had a chance to read the Folsom Independent piece uh, when Hugh O'Connell uh, reported that Eamon Ryan had some concerns about uh, whether to roll over those cuts beyond the end of February um, he said we need excise duty and the likes of those do give us a real broad base uh, we'll have to look at that and see which ones can or will be reintroduced I expect a number of them will have to be reintroduced because we have to make sure that we have the money for social welfare health and other budget needs uh, and that is what was in contrast to Leo Varadkar who basically said that you couldn't have this idea where all those supports would disappear at the end of February and people would suddenly be hit with a higher uh, cost of living in, in early March either way Paul you, you, I wasn't at that, that briefing with Eamon Ryan but you, you didn't come away with the same I didn't I didn't was... pick it up as bloody minded um, I, I you know I think he's you know I don't think anyone disagrees with the with the broad concept that we need taxes to fund social social services um mm. Um, I just I don't see uh, you know I didn't pick it up as yeah. Eamon Ryan digging his heels in and saying that, that he, you know over his dead body we're going to reintroduce these excises but I would imagine that you would probably see either a tapering or a more kind of targeted because this was very broad it yeah. was kind of a, a blank check that was written yeah, and aside from I suppose the conversation that the, the, you know that the Greens will want to have out there uh, with regard to you know the, them really kind of uh, looking at the excise duty on fossil fuels, I think it is going to be interesting how the government handle the difference in the excise duty now that it's legal between. Um, hotels and kind of food service restaurants yeah. mm. uh, because a lot of the argument has been that uh, kind of pubs, restaurants uh, and service uh, services like that uh, should re- retain I think it's the 9%, 9% yeah. uh, uh, rate whereas hotels which have been accused of price gouging across the country um should go back up to 13.5. I think that's now legal to do. Uh, Leo Varadkar said during the week that just because something's legal doesn't mean we have to or or will do it. Uh, but it will, that will be, uh, that'll be a bit of a political hot potato. And I think when this comes up, um, you know, in the next month or two, uh, we are going to hear a lot from the hoteliers, uh, you know, and, and the pubs uh, talking about their own sides of this coin. Um, and I think it'll be an interesting one to watch. I, I, one of the things that I find interesting, I suppose, to Michael McGrath just before Christmas and had the the interview in yesterday. Did you paper. say thanks, Chief, for keeping the price? I did. I absolutely. <laughs> the, first, the first thing I said when I went in. Yeah. Cheers, Chief. Um, <laughs> gave him a little finger gun. Um, but one of the things that that really struck me about what he was trying to do, and it comes back to what the parties are trying to do in terms of pitching, and I find it really interesting. One of the conversations that we have in in Ireland uh, among people who are are politically engaged is about left right splits or or real that that kind of. Um, a division on ideology. I actually think that the, the conversation that most Irish parties have have to have amongst themselves and between each other is about actually about the, the size and role of the state. Uh, and mm. Michael McGrath said to me, like he he sees a, a a much larger state in future. That's what he wants to pitch mm. Fianna Fáil as is that centre left large mm. large state party. Whereas you know it's not really within the Fine Gael sort of view of the world because uh, they complain that everyone else is tax and spent when you get into the role of a big state. And that's uh, and that's the uh, that's what I find really interesting is that the, what you're actually seeing at, at government level now uh, around this uh, excise thing is actually about the role of the state whether or not the state has a, a role to get involved in, in the price of petrol um, mm. so it's a, it's, a, it's a deeper philosophical debate rather than a, a kind of a, a personality yeah. clash uh, Paulie is listening on Twitter good morning to you Paulie he says uh, listen to the Gavin Riley show where you actually criticise a guy who's not in government you criticise the LDA but then when you get Dara O'Brien in front of you on your show and I mean all media you give him an easy ride uh, says Paulie um, I haven't had Dara O'Brien um, on the programme he was with me or he was on the programme one week 
weekend that I wasn't here a couple of months ago. The last time I spoke to him was in, I think, possibly around summertime on this program. Uh, you can go back and listen to it if you like. I, I don't think he was given an easy ride. And I asked him repeatedly why some of the measures that were now being rolled out to house Ukrainian refugees couldn't have been contemplated when there were already ten or 11,000 other people in emergency accommodation and I asked him the question quite a few times and people can draw their own judgments as to uh, whether they thought he was given an easy ride or whether they uh, agreed with his answers or not Um, if there isn't the prospect of uh, a row between Leo Varadkar and Eamon Ryan over um, petrol supports and the likes is there a prospect of a, a row within the coalition about Future coalitions with Sinn Fein, because oh, Sheena, there appears to be. I knew, on. I knew that that's where yeah, that was. Yeah. rent free. Mary Lou lives rent that's free. That's the solution to the housing Leo crisis. mind, yeah. like, but obviously. So this is this is page four of the Sunday Times, where there is apparently division within the government on relations with Sinn Fein. Yeah, um, when is there not? I mean, this seems to be the only thing they seem to talk about. I know uh, there is also. Look, at uh, the reason why we keep this keeps coming up has to be for a reason. Like it, ha- there has to be, uh, you know, polling or, or something internally in Fine Gael that shows them that their base wants to hear Leo Varadkar slamming Sinn Féin. Yeah. Like that's the only the only reason that I can think of as to why um, Mary Lou t- occupies so much of his mind. Aside from the fact that, you know, when you're talking about the other person in a race, they're winning. Mm. Like, you keep giving them the platform. Um, so I'd like to hear more about what Varadkar is actually going to do about the housing crisis rather than uh, rather than about how Mary Lou is going to ruin the country. Because actually, the action is what's going to speak louder than those words. And if you're not, if, if voters are not seeing and feeling the action, mm. then you're just leaving a vacuum that he is then filling with Mary yeah. Lou. Uh, it is a bit samey, Paul, so we won't go too much into it, but um, this all ultimately goes down to the apparent division where Leo Varadkar says he will never contemplate coalition with Sinn Féin and uh, Fianna Fáil, at least under Micheál Martin, says that he's not quite ruling it out. Now, I think he opened the door to that when he did that interview with journalists. You and I were both there in Japan yeah. uh, in July where, where he was <laughs> where he was sort of discussing, you know, well, can you ever rule it out or was sort of is it a bridge you can't cross? I'm not so sure that Micheál Martin was all that warm to the idea. Or no, was he? No, he was. He wasn't. He wasn't waving a little Mary Lou flag like it was. But it, it it's Michal Martin is a is a an arch political pragmatist. Mm-hmm. He understands that if you rule it out now and you have to go back and do it later, that you will look silly. Uh, if you make a statement like mm. letting Fianna Fáil back into government would be like letting John Delaney back into the FAI, yeah. and then go into coalition, coalition with them, them yeah. a couple of weeks later, that people will play that clip on social media yeah. um, he understands this and the thing is you and I have discussed this Gavin next year or this year well, I'm yeah. first slip Easy up the year, lake, yeah. um, the, the Boundary Commission is going to uh, come out with its its new yeah. doll boundaries mm. political nerd heaven uh, we're going to get the new mm. electoral boundaries yeah. we're going to at least 10 UTDs possibly yeah. 12 or 14 or 16 more so yeah. a doll majority is going to go to about 85, 86 um, Sinn Féin is on 36 TDs they're, they're not getting to a Dáil majority on their own. Mm. It, it's just, it's yeah. if, if there was an election held at the end of this year, they would not have the, the capability to get to over 86 seats. A uh, few other, well, that, that is a, a discussion that we will so, almost certainly but, have at some point on this programme in, in the next year. But no, so you're in, absolutely right. In yeah. any kind of realistic terms, there will, uh, the way Irish politics is set up now, there's three medium-sized parties. Mm. At any one point in the future, barring any kind of real shift, yeah, two of those parties are going to have to form coalition. Or maybe all three. Maybe all three. Uh, uh, national uh, government. Uh, wouldn't, that, crack wouldn't that be something to discuss uh, on the record in 2023? A few other bits and pieces in the Sunday papers which we'll get to 
after this quick break with Paul and Sheena don't go away uh, it might be a new year but it's a lot of the same old crises uh, and there's a lot of the uh, spreads in the newspapers which are looking forward to some of the, the themes of the year we will hear more about that after the news at 12 when we uh, talk to 18 different members of Dáil Éireann about their um, outlook for the year um, but one thing which uh, has not really gone away is the health crisis and Paul it's written about quite extensively on page 6 of the Sunday Independent under the, the pretty blunt headline that it's going to get worse before it gets better for the country's hospitals. Yeah, and then underneath that concern over burnout to doctors, uh, you know, in the top corner, it calls for Stephen Donnelly to act on, on a winter plan. And then uh, in a in an inset panel, there's uh, the, the amount of money spent on a, a locum doctor for ACL. So just a huge, broad, sweeping look at the dysfunction in the health service where the one thing that comes back to... to I suppose that anyone who's used it in, in recent years is that once you're in it, once you're in the system, that the, the level of care is actually really, really good. Um, it's, it's getting into the system is the issue. And that's it. And that access is access has always been the silver bullet. Whether or not you can you can see a doctor, whether or not you can uh, wait, whether or not you have to wait two days or, or as we've seen in, in a recent Higwa report, over 100 hours on a trolley. Mm. You know, these are... Uh, and we saw what happened uh, at UHL uh, in recent weeks uh, when overcrowding becomes the norm, uh, things that, that we expect. And the problem is, uh, one of the problems is uh, I have unfortunately too much experience uh, with the with the NHS system. And I always think it was really, really funny any time that we spent in the UK at at any hospital is British people would be appalled at the idea of spending four hours waiting for an a- to be seen at an a and mm. It just it wasn't a done thing. Uh, whereas we thought four hours in and out, brilliant. Um, just that that level of, of yeah. expectation. The, the, what we've done with A and E particularly uh, in Ireland is to set the level that where if you're in and out within eighteen hours, or if you're seen within eighteen hours, if you're on a bed or or a trolley, if you're on a hard surface within eighteen hours, then you've kind of done well. You're you're one of the lucky ones, and and that's a real uh, lowering of standards that really does a disservice to the people who actually mm. uh, work in the system. Uh, I've just pulled up the HSE's trolley guard stats uh, for this morning. Uh, as of 8 o'clock this morning, New Year's Day, there were 400 and f- 454 people uh, on trolleys in emergency departments around the country. 251 of those had been on that trolley uh, for over nine hours, which meant that they rang in the new year on a hospital trolley in an emergency department. 100 people out of those 454 had been on that trolley for 24 hours awaiting hospital admission. That's including one horrendous. person who was in the children's hospital in Temple Street, a child on a hospital trolley for 24 hours awaiting admission. And Paul's right. I mean, um, you know, there's a reference there to uh, the independence piece around concern over burnout for doctors and nurses um, that their workload is at full tilt. I mean, uh, Ina Moe's Filnier always uh, at the forefront of this conversation for sure, um, talking about how the health system just seems to go from crisis to crisis. Um, but the, really, I got the sense, you know, you know, coming into the Christmas that like we had known that the winter flu and the winter bug was going to cause issues Mm. in like May or June of this Mm. year. I mean, it had been talked about by INMO and other kind of unions and it came from uh, doctors and nurses and consultants themselves at the time, pre-summer basically. And yet we were only kind of really batting down the hatches about what we were going to do about it kind of in mid-November. And that's not good enough for staff. 
I mean, obviously you've got the the people then on the trolleys, which is the very real impact that you've just referenced, mm. Gavin. Um, people who are, and, and that the bar being so low that Paul mentioned that we're thinking it's nearly fine as long as you get yourself onto a trolley, sure, at least you're in there and you're being seen. Um, but, you know, so many people were so sick coming into this winter uh, that really we should have been prepared to take action on that. So, and so many of those type of illnesses were ones that we didn't need or want coming in as far as A&E. That, they, they, that they, the resources uh, weren't there in advance of that, access to GPs and otherwise um, for people to actually catch some of those things and to be supported um, from home so that they, they didn't bring those sicknesses in with them. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's chaos and that's not what you want mm. For a health service. Uh, uh, just by the way, just for comparison, Paul, just before I let you back in, uh, at eight o'clock on New Year's Day last year, so at eight a.m. on the first of January, twenty twenty-two, there were one hundred and forty-five people on trolleys, of whom sixty-two had been there uh, overnight. This morning, it is four five four. Yeah, and, and that's one of the one. that's one of the COVID impacts. People were staying away from from A and E's, and they were still. Um, I, I suppose one of the I, I have a good friend who over Christmas had to bring his son to the A and E in Tala. Um, the children's A&E and one of the reasons was because they couldn't get uh, their their GP was was away over Christmas they couldn't get a K-Doc or a D-Doc appointment until I think the middle of this week and when they went it was it was effectively tonsillitis uh, but because because mm, you know, there was no GP that could see them in the no, meantime you have to go to the A&E and, and I've seen it before the A&E being used as the admissions pathway clogs up the A&E and it, and it sometimes you know there's, you go into A&E and there's people who don't need to be there because they know where in the hospital they need to be. They need to be on specialised boards. They need to see certain doctors. They can only be dealt with in certain cases. But because of the A&E being the admissions pathway in a lot of cases, they have to go in, present, be triaged, wait, and then have their doctor call down. Whereas, you know, if, if you could kind of clear those people out. And, and there was a, a kind of a push a few years ago to kind of, you know, minor injury clinics, that kind of thing. Uh, and all of that just seems to it all just seems to kind of come back to those things aren't as, as available some you know some close earlier or or they're not available on certain days of the week mm. and you just end up with people back in the A&E and when you don't have the necessary resort at the adequate resources at a local community level at a primary care level this is what you then end up with uh, certainly in part it, which is at A&E people going in uh, that you know and the thing is we don't want people not to present um, when they've got illnesses. You need to come forward and there's so many people who over COVID didn't have things checked out when they mm. needed it because they were afraid or were encouraged not to present at places like A&E for lots of reasons um, out of safety for example. But you know we do want people to have the proper care and if that triaging is not being done by resourced uh, you know, primary care units then this is what you're having in the health service mm. as well on top of winter viruses that we knew were coming. Yeah. Um, one thing that strikes me though is that the uh, wasn't didn't the flu season start a little earlier this year mm. and I think there was probably this this maybe naive hope that if flu happened early that basically flu would have kind of circulated around already by Christmas so that you wouldn't have a crisis this late. Uh, the HSE's own figures for last night say that 662 people uh, were in hospitals uh, with COVID-19 as of last night. Now the HSE is saying that around two thirds of those are incidental cases but even still that means that there's 400 odd people who aren't necessarily hospitalised with COVID but because they have COVID they have to be you know managed in a slightly different way which which all goes to show Paul that the system was just never really designed for the sort of workload that it's now facing. No, no and, and I suppose one of the things that will really frustrate people it comes back to this idea that what we did over the couple of years from 2020 to to 
the start of 2022 was we as a people were were urged to protect and support our health system and now we're in a point where covid is over we've 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 done all of that mm. we we put the shoulder to the wheel as we were told and yeah. the the health service is again in crisis. Uh, on that note, <laughs> wow, what a way to, to set off for 2023. A thrill. Uh, Paul Hosford, political correspondent of the Irish Examiner, Sheena Kahl, account manager with DHR Communications and one to watch in politics for 2023 according to Irish Independent. We will watch with bated breath. On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC. Sunday morning at 11. On News Talk.